0: hear us through your AirPods, or see us on your laptop. How about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking queer money on the road this summer and fall. Visit queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood.
1: What's it take to become a YouTube star? Why would you want to and can you make money from it? You're listening to Queer Money episode number 222. Today we're talking about how to use YouTube to grow your brand, strengthen your personal voice, and yes, even make money. We're joined by Jacob Michael of the YouTube channel, Jacob Michael. Jacob started his channel about a year and a half ago and has already nearly 22,000 followers. Jacob's videos discuss being gay in 2020 in America, from topics that cover first date advice to hairstyles for receding hairlines to body shaming in the gay community. Jacob has a lot of insight in making content on YouTube and making an impact. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer your question in an upcoming episode.
0: There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere so banking fits into your life, not the other way around.
1: Find out why the Debt Lasso Method is a better way than the Snowball or Avalanche Method for paying off your credit card debt by getting your free Debt Lasso calculator at DebtLasso.com. Now, on with the show. And welcome, Jacob Michaels, to the show. We're excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Yep.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So we've been watching your YouTube channel for the last couple of months, and we appreciate that you did a small little feature of uh, our Gay Cities article to help provide some content or resource for people to figure out where they might want to consider moving that sort of outside of the typical gay bubble. Your YouTube channel has a lot of very insightful information from a gay perspective for the LGBT community, and I think it's helping tons of people. What exactly inspired you to start a YouTube channel?
2: Uh, so (laughs) I think uh, originally when I started it, I was kind of wanting just to do like vlogging or just kind of videos, uh, just kind of more for fun, just kind of as a hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I originally like, and I don't have any of these videos up anymore, but originally I was doing kind of just all over the place vlogs just as kind of an outlet and something to do. And then I kind of just scrapped that for a while and decided I didn't really want to do it. And then I had, I I don't know, I had a couple of just, I don't know if you want to call them like conflicts or sort of like things that came up in my personal life with some of my friends in Seattle, the city I live in. And there are conflicts that I felt like came up pretty frequently with, you know, my friends in that circle. And I ended up kind of separating from those friends after a while, just because it ended up being pretty toxic. And it kind of just got me thinking, I was like, why is it that I struggle so much to fit into kind of like the the quote unquote gay community right and i don't like to say gay community too much because i know it's not a homogenous group at all but i was just kind of thinking like i don't know why you know why i struggle so much to fit into some of these circles of people so i kind of started off by just making these sort of like quippy videos about grinder just as a starting point because i had a lot of frustrations with using that app as well and then it kind of just turned into sort of this this channel where i talked about I don't know, just like issues that I felt like I was seeing kind of in the quote unquote gay community that I just didn't feel like were talked about or that were really glazed over. And so, yeah, I guess the, the, the reason I, you know, I started making videos in the way that I'm making them now, a lot of it just sprung from kind of interpersonal issues I was having, you know, like dating people, you know, having issues there, but also having some, some issues with some of the, the friends that I was surrounding myself with at the
0: time. And I think that's uh, interesting and very insightful. Uh, a, a lot of folks, when they start either a hobby or a business, it's related to something that they have some experience with, or in some cases, really want to investigate and learn more about. And uh, you, you, you kind of, I think, touch on two topics here that are really important for the LGBT community. And especially, it seems to me, with gay men, but there's this whole idea of acceptance. And that's what we all want. We're all seeking acceptance. And for many in the LGBT community, acceptance has, they've often found themselves sitting on the outside of the circle of acceptance in many cases or most of their life. And then there's this idea of being inside the circle of acceptance can sometimes be toxic or worse than being on the outside of the circle and so you excuse yourself from being on the inside of the circle and it's it, it it's not uncommon to hear people say that that they're giving up on something that's toxic and oftentimes they homogenize it as you use those words the gay community and so they just excuse right. themselves from the gay community
2: right no I definitely I, I definitely agree with that and I think like you know there's kind of this Phenomenon, you know, online. I don't. I, I've heard it with kind of like, you know, women more often. This whole phenomenon of like not like other girls, right? Like, there's this kind of <laughs> idea online, and I think that you also see that same sort of phenomenon with gay people now. It's like not like other gays, where you know you have sort of the what people sort of talk about is like what you said, this homogenous gay community, and then you have the people that you know separate themselves from that for one reason or another, and. I think it's a tricky issue too, because it's like, on the one hand, I think that there are really valid, really valid reasons, I think, to be critical of certain things in the gay community. But on the other hand, kind of like you said, it's like you can't, you know, it's a diverse group of people and you obviously can't kind of write them off as all being the same or kind of remove the, the individual experience of each person in that group because, you know, everyone's going to be different. So yeah, Um, it's definitely interesting. You have to be careful when you talk about those things. And (laughs) yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Kind of have to walk on eggshells sometimes when you're talking about them. But I think why I resonated with your channel is because you are talking about some of the topics that the community as a whole isn't talking about, or you have a different perspective than seems to be what's pervasive throughout the community. Maybe I think what we're talking about is that it, it seems to be that publicly, there are these stereotypes of how we're supposed to look, act, dress, what we're supposed to talk about, what we're supposed to be interested in, how we're supposed to vote. And to your point, we're, we're not a we're not a completely homogenous community. But And then there are those of us who are kind of stepping outside of that circle. And so maybe that's where the inspiration of the content is coming from, is trying to provide something different so that maybe people can see or resonate with a different perspective.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I think that's, I, yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. I think that that is a big inspiration for the content because I think, yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of the issues that I have kind of chosen to talk about, I, I don't, I I haven't seen a lot of at least videos that talk about them. Right. I don't see, I, I occasionally will see articles that talk about them and I'll see people post about them on like Reddit a little bit, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it's definitely not something that's talked about. I feel like in the mainstream within kind of you know, gay culture, quote unquote. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of a good way of looking at it too. And I think that is kind of another reason that I, I wanted to make the channel just because for me personally, you know, I've always had this kind of sense of like, okay, well, I feel like sometimes I've been kind of sitting on the periphery of, you know, like heteronormative culture, just like, you know, normal day-to-day culture. Right. But then it's like, I, you know, I find, you know, I found my people, you know, like gay people, <laughs> but then it's like, there's this, you know, this mainstream conversation about things that, Maybe I don't relate to all of them, but then also there's like a mainstream part of it too that is, at least for me personally, like feels, I don't know, it feels like it might be a little bit toxic, I Mm -hmm. guess you could say. So, yeah, for sure.
0: It's kind of funny because I think for all of us, no matter who we are, what, if for lack of a better term, label that we end up putting on ourselves or others put on us that there's always this kind of Venn constantly moving Venn diagram of where we overlap with all of the different aspects of life, right? You know, mm-hmm. where do you overlap socioeconomically? Where do you overlap politically? Where do you overlap with your gender identification, your sexual orientation, where you live in the country, what kind of things you actually enjoy in life? And because of that constant movement or trying to figure out where things overlap, we can sometimes get feel frustrated that it's hard for us to find other people like ourselves or are hard for us to get across what we're really trying to say sometimes because people right. are constantly judging us well you're not a part of my overlap right and so right. that's partly where the, maybe the toxicity comes from and partly where the desire and the need for acceptance comes from that we want uh we want to be a part of that i think that really um you know that wasn't necessarily the direction that this podcast was going. But I think one of the things that we've hit on here is that sometimes our experiences in life or the things that we want out of life can become a motivator for us to actually do something that is creative. For sure. And, you know, we see a lot of people in the LGBT community who are wanting to be creative. They're wanting to do something, but they just don't know where to start. Right. Right. Or maybe they have an idea of where they want to start. And that's kind of the reason why we wanted to have you on the podcast is to talk about this idea of how you got started with this. You have a YouTube channel that has nearly 22,000 followers at the time of this recording. You have videos that have had hundreds of thousands of views. So clearly, the content that you're putting out there is resonating with some people. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to DebtFreeGuys.com forward slash cafe for more info.
1: Want to be a part of the $1.7 trillion LGBT business economy? The National LGBT Chamber of Commerce New York is here for you. For your next big contract, mentor, coach, collaborator, and tons of new clients, join us at nglccny.org for the greatest concentration of LGBT and allied business leaders in New York.
0: So if someone is similar to you in a similar, maybe mindset as you, and they, they may want to ask, how did you get started? How did you get this? And we know, you know, kind of, you've, you said it was this idea of sharing some of your own opinions, but logistically, how did you get started?
2: Yeah. So I guess logistically, I mean, so it obviously kind of depends on sort of the, the medium that you're, you're trying to create with within, but for YouTube, like I, I started off just filming on my phone, and so I, you know, I, I had my phone, I used my camera, I would record, and one of the things I thought was interesting when I started filming was that. I was actually not that great in front of the camera at first. And, you know, you always imagine, right? Like you always kind of imagine yourself like filming a video and being like, Oh, I'm going to say this, that, and the other, I've got all these ideas. But then when you actually are filming, even though it's just you in the room and your camera, like you're you're super nervous and you don't know what to say. And you're kind of picturing like what, you know, what people are going to think. And also there's the other aspect of that is, you know, the the post post production, no, not post production. It's like the post filming part of, creating a video, which is editing, right? And I think part of that nervousness is you're not, you know, you don't totally realize the power of editing and how easy it is to make yourself sound a bit smarter than than maybe <laughs> you sound in the raw footage, right? And so I think that, you know, for me, like, I guess, logistically, you know, I kind of just had to use what I had. So I, I used my iPhone camera, I got like a subscription to Adobe Premiere just to to edit the stuff. And I just started learning. I, I personally, I really love learning that kind of stuff. So I thought it was, that was really fun. But then in terms of, I guess, logistically can mean a lot of things. So that's kind of the very practical, like technical stuff is, you know, don't try to go out of your way, I guess, to buy a bunch of new stuff, try to try to create with what you have. And then, you know, as you, you know, you, you improve and you need more stuff, just, you know, expand your your supplies and your tools and everything you're using Um, but then there's also kind of logistically in terms of just like the i guess like the the fear like the the psychology of actually creating and especially when it's creating and then sharing it online because you know you're you're creating something sharing online there's the you know the expectation at least if it's reasonably successful that you know people people will see it right people are going to see it they'll respond to it you'll see how they respond to it and there's the fear of like, well, what if I make this and people don't care or they, they disagree and they just really don't like it. And for that, I mean, I, I don't know, like overcoming that fear, I feel like was really hard like there are several videos i created early on where i i posted them i had you know maybe four or five nice comments and then like one just really mean you know vitriolic comment and i just deleted the video because it was like oh this is wrong i, I got this wrong right <laughs> um and so i think over time i've had to you have kind of have to just develop this sense of like this like inner core i guess of like you know my perspective matters where i'm coming from matters like people might not always agree with it but like at the end of the day like I have to, you know, and obviously if you don't agree with something you post, you can take it down. You realize, oh, that was a mistake. But like, I think it's, it's also, that's another component of it, right? Is developing that sort of inner core of like, this is who I am. Like, not everyone's going to like it, but I just have to like accept that people, you know, someone is going to dislike it. That's almost guaranteed. Right. And so I think that's almost like a good mindset to have going into it. Um, If you're, you know, I think it's Brene Brown that talks about being in the arena and getting your ass kicked or whatever. It's <laughs> yeah, like, yep. if, if you, you, you can't go into the arena without... People, you know, throwing punches. Like you just have to know that that's part of it. And I think for me, that has been really helpful to kind of view it in that way. If that makes sense. Absolutely. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I just as you're describing your experience, I'm having so many flashbacks because I'm thinking about the the, the first time that uh, we had about five years ago. Our marketing manager asked us to to create this 60 second video, and we're like, "Oh, that's going to be so easy. We could totally do that." And it was one of the first videos we ever recorded. Um, and we started out and we fumbled a couple times. We were like, you know what? We're a little bit too tense. Let's have a little bit of uh, wine. So we had a little bit of wine and we just kept screwing it up, screwing it up. And we kept having more and more wine. And all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, today's wasted. We got to try it again tomorrow. And you would think that doing a 30 second video would be super easy, but it's actually more challenging um, than you expect. And then you have all this respect for like, Especially reporters who are like on the scene while something's happening mm-hmm. and, and how they're able to put something cogent together that's actually valuable for people. And I, I can also think of the first time that we published our first blog post on com forever ago. And I, Probably paced the the living room for about 30, 40 minutes before I actually hit publish because I was like, "What if everybody hates it? What if everybody or nobody pays right, attention to yeah. it?" <laughs> and you know, to your point, you know, I, I think what we've learned over the last five years is and kind of what you were talking about having that inner core. Is you kind of have to have a bit of a thick skin, which is something that we didn't necessarily have from the beginning. But to me, that's been part of the 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 benefit of of this process is that it's really kind of given us some thick skin and help us become really confident in what we have to say and how we have to say it which i think is sort of one of the reasons why we've been encouraging people lgbt or otherwise to to become full or part-time entrepreneurs, creatives of some sort, because what it does is it helps strengthen your voice. And especially if you've got something unique to say that can provide some value to someone. We don't need more people to continue to say the same thing. We need some people who are ready to kind of disrupt things. Um, And when you're going to disrupt things, you're definitely going to piss some people off. But that's kind of the point, right? You're trying to show a different perspective. We're not homogenous. We're different. And here are some different opinions over here. And if you want to join me, come over here.
2: Well, right, for sure. Well, and I yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And that's a really good point. It's like if you're, you know, if you're gonna create something with the intention of creating something, you know, unique, your your risk of being criticized and being, you know, quote unquote punched, if you want to call it that, like <laughs> to use Brene's analogy, it's even higher, right? I mean, you're definitely gonna you're definitely gonna piss people off. You're definitely gonna you're definitely gonna get criticism. And I think another thing too. Uh, the kind of think about too, is I mean even people that maybe don't necessarily consume your content, but people that are in your personal life right that that you know know that you're you're trying this project, I know in my experience i've had you know several people, not several but a few people in my life who. I don't really talk to now, but like, I remember they, they straight up told me when they found out I was doing YouTube, they're like, Oh, that's so embarrassing. Like, you don't, like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell everybody that you're doing that. Like, really? and <laughs> I can remember that. Yeah. I can remember. And I mean, it's, it's not, it was like a couple of people, um, most people have been incredibly su- supportive, but there's like two, two distinct cases. I could remember that happening. Wow. And I mean, oh my gosh, like that, like and that by itself, you're just like, Oh gosh, it's, it's just whole, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is this whole thing just ridiculous? Like you just kind of feel that, that, you know, that. I guess you could call it shame or like self-doubt or whatever. But yeah, I mean, just kind of, I think when you can expect those things, like I, I think it does, it doesn't make it the emotions less painful maybe, but I think it makes it easier to kind of push through it. Cause you know, it's part of the process. And the other thing too is, you know, regarding, you know, if you if you are finding that you're nervous or like, you know, I know this really helped me a lot. You know, whenever I'm doing videos, I tend to go on tangents. I tend to you know talk kind of in a bunch of different directions. And what I found though, is that like for me, and this worked really well for my channel, is that I can kind of incorporate that into the video itself as kind of improv humor sort of. So you can kind of also use that as part of like, you know, the way you sort of like are creating your stuff. Um, I know that's worked for me. I think it kind of adds a little bit of relatability, um, mm-hmm. when you, you know, you don't edit out all the the mistakes and stuff, but obviously that kind of depends on the the specific content <laughs> you're making. But right. yeah, so, I mean, that's another thing. I mean, if you, there's a certain struggle that can usually be spun into some sort of strength, if you, you know, you kind of approach it a different way, I guess, when you're creating stuff.
0: I think when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about the the saying, and I don't know, I can't remember who to attribute this to the idea of being perfectly imperfect. Right. Mm-hmm. That we sit down and you kind of alluded to this when you put the camera up for the first time and you start recording and you just expect that you're going to make something that is you know, perfect and amazing. And you realize that it's not. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's the imperfections in there that are what make you endearing to an audience or the imperfection mm-hmm. is what actually makes people think about something uh, more than just to watch it for entertainment. Uh, Mm Um, but I I guess that kind of brings up this idea then when you got started and you're starting to do these videos, is this really time consuming? I mean, how long does it take you to make some of these videos? Obviously, I think depending on the the length of the video, but in general.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of, it really depends. I mean, I think so early on, especially like I was really, you know, I was really engrossed in the process. I just thought it was super fun. So I would spend, I mean, I don't even want to know, like, (laughs) probably like 10 hours a week, 20 hours a week ish. I mean, just depending on, depending on the week. And I mean, some weeks would be more, some weeks would be less, but I think some of that was also learning how to edit and how to film and like learning, you know, learning that stuff. I think that kind of adds a certain slows things down in the beginning, but as you know, as you get more experience, that really decreases, but you know, I still spend a fair amount of time. I'd say probably not quite that much as I did in the early stages, but I still spend a a fair amount of time per week on videos just because I want to make them, I want to make them better. And now, especially lately, I've been trying to shift my sort of more LGBT and just like social issue related videos kind of towards more of a video essay format where I actually, you know, pretty much script the entire video and sort of make it this really deep dive, like, analysis of a topic like like 30 40 minutes long and those take a long time but i don't put those out every week those like i think my my most recent one that one probably i spent 50 i'd say like 40 or 50 hours just researching and then you know you have filming and then you have editing and it was like a 45 minute video so yeah it really can depend on the type of video you're making but yeah i would say early on i was spending probably like i'll say just 20 hours a week on it um i think now i probably spend like. 15 hours a week on it, depending on the week. Some weeks I don't, but yeah. yeah.
1: And so you had, or you still have a full-time job as well, right?
2: So I do. Yeah. I, I do have a full-time job, although I am really thankful because I am currently doing like a reduced, I'm doing a reduced schedule. So I do like 30 hours a week right now, um, which is awesome. It's like yeah. perfect for me. I um, mean, that's freed up time for me to to do, of course, my YouTube stuff, but also have, have some semblance of a, a social life and spend time with my boyfriend and all those different things so the important um, stuff yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah very important stuff
1: <laughs> so uh, how much money would you say so it's, you alluded to this earlier that you know you don't necessarily need to buy all sorts of brand new equipment right most of us already have a, a smartphone that has a camera so you, most of us kind of have the opportunity to record our own videos uh whether they're on TikTok or YouTube or whatever but how much would you say um you've invested in your channel so far?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So let me think about that. So every single month, it's kind of changed a little bit. So I ended up buying Final Cut Pro. So that I think was two or 300 bucks when I bought that. But there was a one-time purchase. Um, and then the camera, so I think I spent about... I think it was about 900 I think it was like 900 to a grand on the camera it was partially a christmas gift so i spent but yeah i was 900 to a thousand was how much it totally costs and then lights i think lighting stuff that can cost um, it depends on what you get but probably like 100 to 150 on lighting yeah i mean i would say so i would say in total i've probably spent like we'll say like you know, 1500 to maybe two grand on just all my, you know, on my equipment and editing stuff and just random odds and ends too, that I'll occasionally get for the video. So yeah, it's like 1500 to two grand. The nice thing about YouTube is that you can monetize it. So I've, I've fortunately been able to make all that back Nice from monetizing it now. So like, that's, that's really nice. But yeah, so I would say that's about a rough estimate, probably 2 grand we'll say. Uh,
1: that's um, that's great. Thank you. I think you know I think what you're saying, what you're outlining here, you know, the idea that you don't necessarily need to invest much money initially if at all to just get started, and then there are a lot of free resources available or low-cost resources that you can use that mm-hmm. may not be you know optimal. It's definitely not what they're using in Hollywood, but it's a good start. And then as you're as you're able to monetize your channel, whatever mm-hmm. platform that you're on, you can sort of scale up and and upgrade to the nicer. Services and products and cameras and all that additional stuff. You don't necessarily, the barrier to entry is a lot lower, I think, than what most people would maybe think initially of how this guy created this YouTube channel. Well, you started with a simply with an iPhone, then kind of morphed into something much more. And so I think it's within the realm of possibility for most people to sort of replicate that model to some extent.
2: I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, it's yeah, because I I mean, initially I didn't spend anything. I think I think I maybe spent like five or 10 bucks on like a very cheap tripod for my iPhone (laughs) just to like stand it up. But yeah, I mean, you don't have to spend a a ton of money up front. But yeah, I mean, that's the nice thing, especially today. It's like you can usually monetize stuff like at a certain point. Um, And even if you don't make enough to live off of, you can still usually make enough to pay for the hobby for sure.
0: When you look at most individuals who have kind of grown a business, that's how they start. Right? They start as mm. a hobby. They know it's not making money, but they started as a hobby. And all of a sudden they figure out a way to monetize it. And then they do start making money and they're covering their costs. And then they up their game a little bit and now they are making money. And then eventually they figure out a way to actually turn it into a full-time income. And for right. some people, that is a really quick process because maybe they have some insight on how to do it, or they have years of experience, or they have tangential experience, maybe it's something similar to what they are doing in their own job. And so they can move a lot of those skills in or they have family support, right? But no matter who we are, it's always this kind of the same process, we have to learn, we have to have some sort of investment, we have to figure out how to monetize it. And then we have to figure out how to grow that. Right. No, totally. I mean, that's totally the thing. And I think it's also important kind of
2: sort of related to like the time aspect. I think it's also important to remember just that time is a really valuable thing too. And so, I mean, obviously like it depends totally on a person's situation. Sometimes time is more accessible than money and sometimes money is more accessible than time. So it's like, I mean, for me, I think like I personally like editing. I like spending time on, you know, all of the kind of nit gritty stuff of it, but, you know, for somebody that maybe doesn't like doing editing or, you know, whatever, you know, it might cost a bit of time up front for them to have to edit. But if they get to a point where they can monetize it, um, they might be able to, you know, for example, pay for an editor. So, and Mm -hmm. that can save them, you know, the time that they would have spent editing. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's also kind of another thing to think about too, is just like, you might be spending a bit more time on it early on, though if you, you like it and it's a hobby, that probably doesn't matter much. But like, eventually, you can get to a point where like, you don't have to, You can spend less time on it, even if you are spending a little bit more money on it, which is valuable, I think, in and of itself.
0: Yeah, that was a process that we went through with this podcast. I mean, if you you go back and you listen to basically the first year of episodes, so probably the first... 40 or 50 episodes. Recorded from our kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were recorded in our kitchen with one microphone and I was doing the editing and I'll just say this it was shitty editing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean obviously I was you know and this is what something that someone told us a long time ago they said don't try to learn it all it right away cuz one you might right. learn something but not be able to implement it all. And two, you're going to lose some of it along the way if you're not using it. So they just said, every week, learn one new thing and add that into your editing functionality. And so it slowly got better, but we also then got to a point where we were able to monetize and... For those of you who don't necessarily understand that word monetize, it's just basically a way to make money off of your business is making money. And so once you're making that money, when we started, we then hired somebody to do the editing because we wanted to free ourselves up to do other things that we enjoyed more or that would add value to the podcast. Thank you Tim. Right.
1: <laughs> Tim is our editor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did it I guess I got two questions then for you to sort of follow up with that. How long did it take until you were able to generate some money and how exactly do you make money on YouTube?
2: So it took me so let's see. So I really started my channel as it was and like may of 2019 and i think around then i get like a hundred something subscribers and like the thing with youtube is you can't even monetize until so first of all i guess i'll explain how monetization works on youtube so the way you monetize on youtube is through ads so like you you can turn on ads on a video and as long as your video meets the criteria for you know advertisers you'll have ads placed on your video and when people watch them depending on the niche you'll make a certain amount per view and then You know, that obviously aggregates into a certain amount that you make for that video just for its entire life. And so the YouTube, they got really strict with who can monetize. I think it was in 2018 or 2019. They really cracked down and they said that you could only monetize your channel if you were a creator with a thousand or more subscribers. And if you had 4000 hours of watch time within the last 365 days. And so I wasn't even able to monetize until that point. And I hit that point at the end of December of 2019. And so I would say, yeah, for the first, like, gosh, I guess it would have been like eight months, seven months. Like I wasn't, I wasn't making anything from it. And then it was just end of last year, kind of, well, yeah, end of last year when I was finally approved for it. And that's when I started putting ads in my videos. And then there's also too another, there are other ways you can do like affiliate links. So the way that works is you, you'll maybe mention some products or something in your video and... You'll say, like, yeah, I have links for these products down below, and you can actually create affiliate links. And they're basically, I mean, it's basically kind of a form of advertising because it's like you're directing traffic to like a certain product on a certain website. And so you can get affiliate links so they can actually trace that back to you. And then they'll give you a small cut of how much revenue you generate uh, from those links. So, like, it's usually like pretty low, it's like 2.5 or 5% of the overall purchase, but it's still something and it doesn't cost the person buying the stuff any money. It's just a cut from the company's profit. So that's another way. There's also obviously you can do merch, like you can sell your own stuff. I haven't I haven't done that. And then there's also um like crowd crowdfunding. So like you can do things like Patreon, which that is something I have. I have a Patreon. And so those are all kind of just different ways you can generate revenue streams. You can also if you're if you're trying to build like an actual business where you're selling a product like a course or like Just something specific. You can also kind of create sort of a a sales funnel with your channel and like use your channel as the means of promoting that product. And then, you know, you kind of slowly try to redirect traffic down that funnel. So then maybe you get them to join your email subscriber list. So then you try to get them to join, you know, your website. And then at the end, you kind of give them a pitch and you're like, hey, like, do you want to buy this course? And that is also another way people will make a lot of money on YouTube, is they'll have a product that they're selling for a very niche audience and they'll use their channel to sort of like funnel traffic into that product to buy. And so yeah, those are those are a few of the ways. I don't I don't really do the last approach just because I don't really have a (laughs) I don't really have a product. But yeah, those are all different avenues you can go down.
1: So that's very interesting. And so you touched on the sort of in order to even start doing advertising or or implement including ads in your content, you had to sort of reach certain benchmarks with YouTube getting so many hours of watch time in the last three hundred and sixty five days, having so many followers. How exactly did you grow your following so
2: I mean I think for me it was just I think I stayed kind of within a niche so that's a pretty big that's a pretty important thing early on especially is creating content that really caters to a specific audience and I don't the thing is is some of this it's kind of tricky because there is a certain element of like randomness and then there's also just the black box of the the YouTube recommendation algorithm because it's going to have all of its kind of own behavior based on how viewers on YouTube are acting, so like you have no control over that as like a creator, but like you know there are best practices you know you try to optimize your videos so that they're really searchable, so like that involves doing like research and SEO, like trying to make sure that you're really you know optimizing for keywords that don't have a lot of competition but that have a reasonable amount of volume um, and there's a lot of i mean, there's a lot of technical detail you can go into with all of those things, but yeah, I mean. I think the main thing is trying to focus in on a, like a topic or like a niche. And that is, I think why my audience kind of started to grow is because I was talking about like gay issues in a very particular way. And I think, yeah, there was like an audience, there's an audience for that. And so I think focusing on like a specific topic is probably the most important thing you can do. And I also think to just kind of, it's a little bit of a waiting game early on too, right? Because I mean, just to give like kind of a sort of perspective on my channel. Like I think like last year, like in the summer, I was generating maybe like maybe a hundred, like maybe a few hundred views every week, like at most. Like I think every, I, it was not very much at all. And it kind of just slowly like snowballs a little bit. And yeah, so early on I wasn't getting a lot of traffic. And then towards the end of the year, I was getting a bit more. And then I was getting a bit more later. And then I had a really big spike of traffic in May. It's kind of tapered off, but it's still grown relative to where it was even several months ago. So I think some of it's also just patience as well. And just kind of, yeah, those are kind of a couple of things, I guess, is focusing on a niche and kind of also realizing that it does take a little time to get substantial traffic to get the thousand subscribers and to hit off the benchmarks and stuff.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. And it's a, the it's a lines of not exactly, but similar experiences that David and I have had. But um, you, you touched on the the need to have a niche. And as you were talking about that, it reminded me, you know, a couple of months ago, maybe it was maybe it was even a year ago, I can't remember, but all the social media platforms in an, in an effort to sort of minimize hate speech and to shut down fake news, they sort of did some some overcorrection where, you know, specifically with YouTube, if I remember correctly, they were sort of thwarting the algorithms or traffic for anything that was gay or LGBT related, almost like mm. the word gay couldn't be used in a positive way, the word LGBTQ or queer couldn't be said. In a positive context, so that was thwarting some of the traffic that I know that uh, LGBTQ bloggers and vloggers were were getting. Did you experience that? And, and if so, how did you overcome that?
2: That was a little bit before, I guess, my time. Like I think I was still creating during that time, but I didn't have I didn't have enough traffic to really know an impact. <laughs> it was hard for me to know. It's like, is it just because no one's watching my stuff, or is it because like I'm being affected by this thing? So I don't really know. I didn't experience that personally. But yeah, I I think that they, they, they have had issues in the past where they've been too strict on keywords. But I do think at least, you know, now, like since I've been monetized, at least, and based on my traffic, like my channel's traffic and growth, like I haven't I haven't personally observed any sort of like anomaly there. I haven't. And most of my videos, like I have videos that are demonetized because I talk about more, I guess you could say like personal issues or whatever. But like, yeah, I haven't really experienced that when I just talk about like gay or LGBT issues. But I also kind of started getting in the game, I think, when a lot of that stuff had already been at its worst. So yeah, I haven't experienced it too much.
0: So you you mentioned this, this idea of the waiting game. So let me ask you, (laughs) what did you do? Because I I think most of us, when we start doing something, you know, we want that success and we want to see that thousand followers or million views or whatever. And we want to have, we want it to happen yesterday, right? What, (laughs) What did you do? And we it can actually really drag you down emotionally, right? You can use Mm -hmm. it as a way to really go into a negative place because you start to get to this, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, nobody likes me, Mm -hmm. all those kinds of comments. What did you do to avoid that and just say, I'm going to ride this out? So,
2: yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So, I mean, there I guess to be clear, I mean, there were definitely times when I felt that way, right? Like, I mean, there were definitely times when I was like, gosh, this." I mean, you know, there's, there's no reason people want to watch this. I'm not good at this, you know, those sorts of things. I think that's really normal. And so I definitely had those, but I think what helped me, there's a lot of things. I think one of the things is like, first of all, not benchmarking myself against like some sort of expectation that I already have or some sort of, you know, how other people are doing. Right. Because if you look at a channel that already has like a huge audience, it's like, you're not going to compete with them at the beginning. You just can't because they've been in the game for several years, probably. And YouTube, just by its nature, it really favors creators that have a large audience already. Like, I mean, it very, very much favors those creators. And so I think it's good to have perspective and just realize like, okay, well, I'm just starting this. I mean, it's it's not going to be good. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I'm also like, it just takes time to build trust with people and to get visibility. The other thing too, for me was just... I don't know. I think there's a certain level of like trying to like sort of remove, and I, I don't know, it's hard to say this cause it's like, I, I think it's good to strive personally for things and I think you have to, but I think a certain amount of like removing like your ego from it and not yeah. so much like, you know, not having personal investment in it, but kind of trying to remember like, what's like the, what's the thing like that you're really pushing for here, right? Like what are you, what, what is the goal here? Cause like for me, like my goal was to talk about things that I didn't feel like we're talking about enough and to help people who maybe were having similar experiences as me. And I did see I was impacting those people, right? Like there were people even in the beginning that would comment to be like, wow, this is really helpful. And sure it was only like three or four in the beginning, but it was still, I mean, those are real people. And so I think that's another part of it is realizing like the impact you are having and also like kind of remembering that it's just making sure I guess that like your ego and like sort of the sense of vanity don't get too wrapped up in like your perceived success. And I guess... Yeah. I mean, I guess those are a couple of things that I found helpful for me. And I mean, it's not like a cut and dry, like you just figured out and you stop caring. I mean, I still struggle with these things. <laughs> like I still, I still have moments where I'm like, gosh, why is like, why did this video not do well? Or like, why like, I spent all this time on this? Why is this not doing well? But I think it's good to just sort of, I think it's good to just try to recenter yourself by thinking about some of those aspects, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I think it's important to have perspective. And yeah. those are all things I think are are ways for you to remember and have that kind of perspective, that there's lots of different factors as to why you don't have instant right. success. <laughs>
2: When I, one thing I'll say too, is like, I know for me too, I mean, just as a side note, it might be personality trait, but I tend to be kind of stubborn with stuff too. Like I tend to be very much the type where like, I want to figure it out. I want to, if I have a goal, like I, I want to like get it, if that makes sense. And I do think that is another part of it as well as just, I think for me, I can get kind of stubbornly set on doing something. Yeah. I think just having the grit, I guess, to sort of, to do that and to kind of maybe get a little, little stubborn, not that you don't learn, but just trying to kind of just persist. Um, And knowing that, like, it'll work out, I think is helpful, too. Anyway, sorry, I I think I cut you off.
0: No, that's fine. I I think that word tenacious, right? Having tenacity is is vitally important for anyone who wants to have any form of success. You have to continue and you have to try again and try again and try again. So (laughs) one of the things that seems to be, I think, of a, a lot of interest for folks is the variety of topics that you have. You have so many different topics uh, on your channel. What path do you go down? To? You know, is there are there favorite topics that you have? This is the kind of the way the, the juicy stuff, right? I mean, this is where you get to have yeah. fun, or you get to make a statement, or you get to piss people off, or what? How do you do that? <laughs> how do not I? The, so not do the I? piss people off part. <laughs> well, how do you how do you
1: pick your topics exactly, topics. and what resonates? What seems to resonate most with your audience?
2: So. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So, like, I so right now I'm kind of in this interesting place where I'm kind of figuring out like how much of different topics I want to include. I've been experimenting with like kind of vlogging videos lately because I people have asked me to do that. And so, I, I try to respond to feedback. And there have been people in my audience that like are very consistent and they really are they're really supportive and really great. And you know, they've asked, you know, try, try doing vlogs, we want to see more of just kind of who you are. Um, and so, one aspect of it, I think, is just listening to your audience. And taking feedback, but not everyone, right? Like you want to. It's there's really a core of your audience that you'll probably start to recognize as you're doing like a channel or something, where like you know they're consistently coming to your content, and like I feel like that's the group of people that like at least I really focus on, because I focus on every random person that left a mean comment or told me they hated this or that. It's like I delete everything, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's I think it's that's one thing. is just seeing kind of the the core audience and responding to their feedback, but. For me, I mean, a lot of my topics too, though, it's like, like shower thoughts, I guess. Like, I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I tend to I have, I mean, I guess I just think about these kinds of things a lot, not even just LGBT, but I tend to just think about issues like that. And it's kind of, it's a blessing and it's a curse, I guess, because on the one hand, it's. It's obviously good because i can I feel like I have things to talk about and ideas about things, but at the same time, I think it can come with like not always knowing when to turn my brain off with that stuff. but yeah, for me, a lot of it's just like I'll have an experience with somebody or I'll have like a series of experiences with different people, and I just kind of see this thread between them or like this pattern between them like one just an example right like whenever I would go to clubs for example, like back whenever I was a cool kid and like did that <laughs> <laughs> i like would I would go to clubs. And it was interesting because something I noticed like when I first started going was like there were certain people I felt like that would get all of the attention. I mean, this is a really basic example, but I mean, you'd, I noticed like certain types of guys that felt like would get a lot of attention. Like it would be guys who were either like in really good shape and just like kind of, you know, the Ken doll type or just like very handsome or it would be like, you know, you know, straight guys, quote unquote, or maybe actually straight guys that were there with their girlfriend or something like, I felt like they were the ones that would get a lot of attention. And then like, I found in my own experience too, that like, you know, whenever I started working out a lot and I saw some changes in, I guess, how my body looked, I noticed that I got more attention from that. Right. And it just kind of got me thinking, I was like, how important is this really? Like how, like how much value is really put on the way your body looks like what, like, what, why is that such a thing? And is it just a matter of like, Oh, we're like sexually empowered. And we just, you know, we're not afraid to show what we like, or is there something else going on here too? And then that kind of led me into just a dive of like body shame and like, you know, issues around body image and like how that stuff plays out for men specifically. I think I have a video that talks about that topic. It's one of my earlier topics, but like, that's kind of an example, right? It's like, I just kind of see different things and I sort of pick out a thread and I I make a video about it, so I think that's another another way. It's just drawing from my own experiences, I guess.
1: So it sounds like it's as much cathartic as it is a hobby.
2: It is, oh, for sure. I mean, because and, and I think what you said earlier too about you know feeling like you have a voice, like I think that is was a big driver for me too, and it continues to be. It's just you know you, you see these things and you feel like you want them to be talked about. You want to have a conversation about them, and I think that can really be a driver too. It's just like wanting people to hear about this thing that you feel like you see from your perspective that maybe other people aren't seeing in the same way. And I think we all have our own unique things that we see, right? That are worth, Mm -hmm. you know, creating around. So yeah, I would agree.
1: Yeah. So it may be that you don't even necessarily want to start a business or monetize anything. Um, Hopefully, you at least want to sort of cover your costs. But maybe it's more about just strengthening your voice, figuring out better what your perspective is, or at least the best way to sort of articulate that. So when you go out to the community, to society, to your workplace, you can sort of articulate that better or represent that better.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good way of looking at it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. That is, I would say that's probably my bigger motivator and more than it being a business. I mean, I think it would be cool one day to make it something that I could subsist on by itself. But yeah, I think at least right now, I guess the focus still is more on kind of the, yeah, having ways to articulate things. So someday
1: it'll about. be starring Jacob, Michael and Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, I don't think that. I, don't, I doubt that. But <laughs> so if someone wants to follow in your footsteps, what would you say are maybe the first two or three steps that you would suggest that they, they take?
2: Yeah, that's a question. So I guess the first step is just trying it out. I mean, I think that like, I think it's in my opinion, I think it's, good to try to avoid what I call or what is called analysis paralysis. Like yeah. if you have an idea or you have an inkling about creating something and it's, it's within your means, I don't see any reason not to. I think you should just do it before you can talk yourself out of doing it. So I would say it's probably the first step. I mean, I guess the second step is just obviously making sure. I mean, I guess if you don't have all the equipment, all the things you need, like making sure you have that. And then I guess the third step would just be to persist. I, yeah, that's a I guess that would be a good... The third step would be just to persist and just to kind of keep doing it. And obviously, like if you realize, oh, this isn't for me, like I just don't like this just for its own sake, then maybe dropping it because I don't think there's any harm in in dropping it. But yeah, I mean, I think those would be the first three steps, you know, just doing it, just doing it, getting what you need and persisting.
1: Well, I think this has been super insightful and inspiring. And it seems like we have a lot of overlap in our experiences and our our, our perspectives somewhat. Where can our listeners follow or find you? (laughs) Clearly on YouTube. Uh,
2: yeah, they can find me. So I'm just my my YouTube name is Jacob Michael. So yeah, you, know, you can find it on YouTube search or I think if you go to YouTube.com slash Jacob Michael, you know, my channel should be the one that comes up. Um and then yeah, on Instagram you can find me. It's Jacob M Michael um is my handle. And it's the same on Twitter. So yeah, those are the channels that I can be found at.
1: Nice. Well thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's really good talk.
1: Likewise. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. If you're thinking about starting your own business, a more public hobby, or becoming a content creator online, just start. Try it, see if you like it, and go from there. We make the Queer Money podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post your questions in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer your question in an upcoming
0: episode. Thank you very much. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Commit, trim, lasso, automate, monitor.
1: That's the Debt Lasso Method, and it's helped pay off over $250,000 in credit card debt in less than two years so far. See what it'll do for you by getting your free Debt Lasso calculator at DebtLasso.com. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road.